I was at the bottom of the hill. This was the day before the actual stage was going to happen. And I, well, uh, I bumped into Brian Newgall, who is, I think he used to be the, uh, he had some role at Orica Green Edge. I think he was like the marketing manager or something like that. But he's also now a really famous TV commentator in, in Denmark. And he looked at this bike and he said, are you climbing up? Uh, the climb on that bike and I was like because he just he just walked up the climb and walked back down and I said yeah uh, that was what I was planning to do but I wasn't sure if I, if it was even possible or I said something to that extent and then he said you will not be able to climb up that bike uh, that hill on that bike yeah exactly and he said if you can climb up that hill on that bike you're the only one in the world who will be able to do that. And I was just like, okay, then. <laughs> that sounds like a challenge to me. to Life Behind Bars, the amateur cycling podcast that stops for coffee and a slice of cake with pro peloton opinion. I'm Graham Wilgos. With me this week, as ever, David Quainton, the Ian McShane to my Ian Stannard. <laughs> that will be the Pat Sharp to my chaps. Hello. 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 Did, you, did you detect a theme with the things to my somethings? Mullets. Related to France. Mullet. No, mullets. Why are we mullets. why are we talking mullets straight <laughs> off the bat, chaps? Um, is it because um, you've hadn't been to the hairdresser recently, and this uh, is your way happen. of saying that you're considering a new phase in your life? No, no. this is a well tr- well worn, well trodden path, the grain, the secret mullet. I have secretly grown a mullet in the past, which is why I didn't necessarily need a something to my something for myself. <laughs> Yeah. How, um, how do you secretly grow a mullet? Do you wear a house yeah. or you just don't go out? No, it's just secret. You, you just grow it by stealth. Over time, like, it, you know, you, you're growing your hair. You, you're not really, well, you're just not really bothering too much about what's going on on top. And then all of a sudden, one day, someone says to you, David, uh, <laughs> hold a second, you've got a mullet. <laughs> um, it isn't even that obvious at the time, but looking back at photographs, it's, uh, it's, it's quite clear. Anyway, the flying mullet, Shane Archibald, Bora Hansgrohe rider, mm. uh, a, a Kiwi, led out who for uh, another World Tour win to a, a stunning season this week? Sam Bennett, who's not going to the Tour, though, is he? He's Which not, is ridiculous. Is he, the, is he the best sprinter in the world right now? You've got to say yes, haven't you? Who, I mean, who's up, who's up there? Well, he's probably his teammate, Ackerman. Ackerman, yep. And, of course... Um, uh, no, no, he is. I can't think of anyone else. Um, <laughs> no, Hayden is better than Viviani, and um, who else was in the Giro and didn't perform? Was Caleb Ewan in the Giro and didn't perform? He won a stage, yeah. He won one stage, and of course, uh, Gaviria, was he there too? He won a stage, which was originally awarded to Viviani. Um, so, reason reason I mentioned um, Sam Bennett, or the reason I mentioned is one of his lead-out men, rather, um, Apart from his stellar season, so seventh win of the season for Bennett, 36th of his career. Um, impressive stats. Uh, what else has happened at the Dauphiné this week, chaps? The, the, because that's, that's small news by comparison. Should we build up? Because actually, before we get to the big news, uh, the, the, most, the otherwise most amazing thing today in the Dauphiné, in, in the time trial, was uh, Wout van Aert winning by 30 seconds ahead um, of... Ahead of Tom Dumoulin. No, uh, well, ahead of TJ Van Garder and then another 15 seconds to Tom Dumoulin and, and everyone else, which is incredible. Yeah, which is yeah astonishing. Um, oh, by the way, the best sprinter in the world could well be Matthew Van Der Poel. We just don't know because we haven't seen ah. the sprint. <laughs> well, it depends on because he's going from a mile out. Then yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can sprint for a mile. That's his thing. Yeah. <laughs> Only Simon Clark can stay in his wing. Yeah. Um, all right, as we're as we're um, going to wait to come to the big news, let's 
dwell on the mullets for a second. The last cyclist before Shane Archibald to properly rock a mullet or a mullet as glorious. Well, I mean, I think they were everyone in the 90s and then it just died out en masse. Uh, da- Daniel Loss had a good mullet in the past, hasn't he? Yeah, that's true. Um, and there was yeah. a, a, some uh, Aussie rider. Do you have a specific one it's, it's, while it's, it's in mind? It's, it's podcast gold when someone goes, and there was some Aussie rider, and then can't remember it, isn't it? Well, well Graham, I hope this wasn't just an open-ended question. <laughs> ah, you have me. The best I've got is probably Chippo, but I'm not even sure. I mean, Chippo, could, he must have, have rocked a good mullet. Yes, uh, the <laughs> yes. best, and, and well, he, all his haircuts were particularly special. At every stage, Finyon 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 had a, a you know flowing locks, didn't he? Yeah. Well, is a mullet a mullet if it's just a ponytail with nothing on top? No, that's a scullet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the flowing scullet, the Terry Nutkins. <laughs> anyway, back to today's or, or the Hulk Hogan for our US viewers and listeners. <laughs> back to the TT. Who did it put in yellow? Because if if if. One man is out of the tour. One Brit is out of the tour, uh, which we'll come to very, very shortly. Who, who Wait, does Ian Stanard's out of the tour? Arguably, give a better chance to. He was in yellow, courtesy of today's time trial. Well, so apparently, it's, 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 so, um, it's only it's only the lesser Yates. The lesser, or is he? We don't know. This year he's been better. Yeah. Uh, measured he's... only a number of Grand Tour victories. It was. Uh, I, I saw. I saw on um, Twitter this morning that he was eighteen to one at the start of the day to win the tour, which should have been a good each way bet. It looks right now because um, he does look in good form. If he can stay, and there's in the tour this year, there's a team time trial and a, a time trial that's a similar length to this one. He'll lose a bit of time on it, but not a lot by the look of it. So um, he's going to be in good shape. I think. Well, his only rivals really are a man who. Um... Is going into it injured um, and a team who collectively are not good at staying on their bikes historically. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, may as well give it to him now, I reckon. Um, I mean, I disagree, but yes, I, I, like, I like your. Uh, I thought so, you were going to say his only rivals are really a man. In the news this week, Chris <laughs> Room is out of the Tour de France. Shock. Well, it is a bit of a shock, isn't it? Uh, for me, it's a shock and it's very saddening because I I love that man um, like a son. Um, <laughs> <laughs> How much older than Chris Froome are you? Um, I can't possibly say that. Uh, not much, but four years, three four years, years more yes. than I would care to uh, reflect on. <laughs> three years. Um, yeah. Well, on that subject, he will be. He is thirty-four. He was born in May nineteen eighty-five, and he will be thirty-five next year. So. Obvious questions. We'll get them out of the way. Do we think he can come back? A FEMA break. Uh, Graham, you went on TalkSport earlier to be their first reaction uh, to the news. So what happened? Uh, So today's 26-kilometre time trial in the Dauphiné, stage four of the Dauphiné, he reconned it as any good um, or as any serious TTR should. And during recon, on a particularly fast section, he took his hands off of his time trial handlebars. Steve, obviously we know time trial, hand, uh, time trial bikes, that little bit more difficult to control, particularly at speed, particularly if it's a technical section, right? Uh, yes, very much so, particularly if you need to brush, if you need to blow your nose. Particularly if you need to blow your nose, <laughs> which is what we're told uh, Chris Froome had to do. So Froome takes his hands off of his handlebars, blows his nose, loses control at 60 kilometers per hour and hits a wall. Now, hitting a wall at 60 k's is going to hurt. Um, so subsequently, Froome's injuries include a fractured femur, right femur, fractured right elbow, wow. and he's broken some ribs. So tour less than a month away. Obviously, that straight away, Brassford's ruled him out of the tour. Um, it could put him out for a year, couldn't it, boys? A broken, um, a, a broken, it's really hard to break a femur. If you think about a femur, it's so well protected that what normally happens is your pelvis shatters or your knee goes first. Yeah. So femurs, femurs don't really break. So he must have, the position that his bike must have been in to break a femur. And I know cyclists have, you know, skinnier legs, blah, blah, but it's still protected by a lot of muscle. It's the strongest bone in the body. To break a femur is a really tough. So 
yeah, I mean, Jesus, that must have been some some smack he did against that wall. I imagine it was some kind of knobbly, you know, cob, cobbled wall or something that just, yeah, and, and he must have landed in a really well, awkward the, way. The report that I read said that he was, it, euphemistically said he was carried into the wall by a gust of wind, but I suspect he, the impact felt more direct than that to him. Um, yeah. I can tell you that according to Pro Cycling Stats, um, any rider who's fractured their femur after May 15th in the season has not returned that same season. Uh, so any sort of hope that he might come back from the Vuelta seem pretty remote at this point. It's really a question of will he come back at all and be competitive? Will he be able to come back and play? Has anyone ever won the Tour that's older than 35? Uh, yes, a few people. Um, Yoop Zotemilk um, in 1980 at the age of 38. Um, so I would say that it's probably not worth uh, comparing. I think uh, sports science, physiology and diet and training are much better these days. You can go on for longer. I think we've seen that in quite a few sports. Um, you say that. You say the diet's better now. Well, I'm looking at um, Zotemelk here on uh, just on Wikipedia, so I presume, therefore, it's 100% accurate. And it says his diet was very good, it seems, because he was caught in drugs tests in the Tour de France in 77 and 79. He won it in 1980 and then tested positive again in 83. Um, apparently, uh, he was not implicated during his tour win in 1980, though. So oh, that's, that's nice. Yeah. He just took a break. We, let, we can assume <laughs> safely then that he, took, he decided to take a break. Yes, <laughs> but obviously his diet was very good during that mm. tour. I like that in, 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 in I like that in those days, um, you could you could uh, you know take drugs or not take drugs, but um, you know all the winners uh, of that era we can safely assume were clean. Otherwise, surely they'd have been retroactively banned. Eh? Yes, <laughs> yes. Could you imagine? Yeah, anyway, that's 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 another conversation. I didn't realise that he was that old when he won it. Um, uh, there we go. Maybe I should have realised that. He, I know that he wrote. He was. He rode it sixteen times, didn't he? He rode the Tour de France until he was beaten by George Hincapie. So, what do we? What do we think about that? I'm personally genuinely very sad. Not just because I I like Froome and I like to see him win. Uh, I was hoping he would win his fifth Tour. I hope he comes back. Um, will the Tour be sadder without it? Without a five? Without a four-time champion? I think it will. Do you know what we haven't done yet? We haven't got hold of our official Panini Tour de France sticker albums. That's a good point. Not for want of, well, not, not, I've not been. I mean, it has li- it's literally been for want of trying. I mean, I would concur. <laughs> it's literally been for the want of trying. I mean, Graham, because you said, uh, oh, I, I, it's, I found it really hard to, to find out where they are. And I took four seconds out of my day to go on Amazon and, and I found, um, a, you know, a big box of 50 packets um, and then sent you the link. So <laughs> for you then to come on, you know, I nipped into WH Smith in Wimbledon. Superbly bad faith what? and say that you don't know where to get them from. It's just letting the side down. Come on, we just got to spend the money. Well, all right, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's invest, shall we? Yeah. Um, no, obviously, you know, there's going to be a Froome shiny that's now just going to be, uh, you know, just be a veil of sadness for everyone. everyone. Oh, it's taking the shine. It's taking the shine off your shiny. Yeah. Equally distribute the fifty, and then I think you can't open them all at once either. It has to be. It has to be that sort of collector's slow burn. So you're only allowed to yeah. open four packets every other day, and you'll be even doing it at that rate between three of us when we split the fifty. That's going to be pretty quick. What we do, the first person who finds a fr- a shiny fruit, we mark the occasion in some way with perhaps like a. a a liturgy or a hymn yeah and we'll record that whoever does it has to do that holding it and we'll put it on our instagram okay excellent good good plan um <laughs> one name one name we haven't mentioned boys and just before we move on um i did mention astana with lisenko uh jacob Forsang, winner of the dauphine two years ago yeah uh he's he's got to be another contender he's up there this year as well seven seconds off the front as we record um Anyway, reason I mentioned him. Any other cycling Danes that we might... might oh, yes, very good. And a big fan of Jakob Fulsang as well. Steve, why don't you tell us about the cycling Dane first? The cycling Dane is a very nice chap called Scott Nielsen, who is currently studying a PhD in chemical engineering at the University of Bath and is a very talented hill climber. We're going to hear in the interview 
uh, why he's focused on that discipline as opposed to road racing. Um, and he runs a fast-growing YouTube channel called The Cycling Dane, which features a mix of entertaining uh, and humorous videos, and and on the other on the other side of it, uh, more sort of informative, uh, predictive, and, and review sort of sort of episodes. So uh, something for everyone. Uh, we've been talking to him, or rather, I've been talking to him, and I started off by asking him about how we got into cycling in the first place and indeed how he got into YouTubing. So, well, uh, we, we, well, I say we, me and two, well, a couple of friends, we basically set it up in last year where we were, we were trying something different. Basically, this is not cycling related. We were trying to basically get my grandma, uh, who's 80, for now uh she could do the she can do the plank for nine minutes so we were trying wow. to just kind of put that on youtube um and that kind of that's where it all started and then we moved into cycling because cycling is where uh my passion lies so yeah. i thought i might as well move into so what, more what's cycling your background related. what's your cycling background uh so my cycling background is well i'm danish so i basically cycled all my life and uh, I used to race quite a lot. Uh, I had two gap gears where I was basically um, racing on an all right standard. And um, yeah, I was getting coached at the time as well. And I was just seeing how far I could actually push it. But um, for me, um, the racing element kind of, um, I got a bit scared here in the UK because they don't shut the roads. And uh, during that time as well, um, our rider actually died in one of the races that I was going to take part in. Uh, I, I missed it because of a flu or something like that. But having a rider actually die at a race where you were going to be was something that shook me up a bit. And also the fact that like it was the year Lars Armstrong came out and said uh, about how he doped uh, his whole career. And then Michael mm -hmm. Rasmussen, who was my big hero, he came out and said he hadn't just doped during the Tour de France, but he'd actually doped his whole career. Um, so yeah, that left me a bit, um, demoralized with cycling and yeah, it just, it just wasn't for me. I, I just felt like I, I like it as a hobby. Uh, I don't really want to go into that world, but, um, I enjoy it for what it is. And then I fell out of love with cycling, uh, during uni and then I picked up a bike again and, uh, then, yeah, I happened to be in a module with, uh, a rider called Harry Tanfield, who now rides with Katusha. We were actually doing the same module at Teesside University. Really? And yeah, slowly I kind of just started cycling again. And then I got my inch, like my enthusiasm for cycling again and realized that uh, I don't have to road race. I can just stick to hill climbs and long distance events or things like that. Things that aren't as uh, aggressive or, um, yeah. So I, I found my passion in hill climbing and doing long distance events and kind of sportives and just riding my bike in general with friends and doing videos on it, as I found out now, is actually really, really interesting. And I've always followed uh, prof professional cycling. So, yeah, I'm a complete uh, cycling nerd. I, I go on pro cycling stats every single day. Oh, well, that's what that's our recourse generally during, during the uh, podcast recording to actually uh, fact check ourselves but um so harry tenfield he's the brother of uh, charlie tenfield isn't he um, yeah who's most famous um in the uh, currently in his career for having turned up late to the world championship uh time <laughs> yeah trial. i was actually i was actually down in innsbruck when that happened really? uh, so that was quite funny but they're both really nice guys uh just yeah incredibly nice guys and there's actually a third tenfield as well who's immensely talented so, yeah, the Tanfields could just dominate cycling in the next few years. Well, of course, they're, um, which one of them is involved in the, um, in the sort of Darbados setup? Charlie was definitely like one of them. And then he went on to do the track world cycle, a track, became the track world champion in the team pursuit. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I think Harry's done some track, track as well. Well, they're certainly making waves. I mean, they're a teammate of uh, John yeah. Archibald, who I have a sock bet with uh, Graham 
to to see whether John Archibald will break um, Victor Campagnet's newly uh, minted uh, hour record. Uh, next All right. I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, he's a great exponent of the time trial and the aerodynamics for sure. Um, so, yeah. uh, do you have any um, favourite uh, videos at the moment? In case, if people want to go onto your uh, channel, what should they be checking out first? Uh, well, so right now we're trying to find our feet and we've done like uh, a variety of different videos, but um, like my personal favorite is probably when uh, I invited my friend who's a gymnast and basically what we did was uh, he got me to do some uh, gymnastic exercises and then I got him to do some cycling related stuff. So I, I thought he'd made me do a car wheel. I, he made me try and do a cartwheel, uh, handstand, and all these basic gymnastic things, which I was terrible at. And then I thought it would be funny just to see if he can actually change an inner tube, which he found horrendously hard. <laughs> uh, and then some other things as well. But yeah, um, there was also the Rafa 500, which I don't know if many people know about, but it's basically an initiative that Rafa, the clothing uh, company, have where... Yeah. They, they make you, well, they don't make you, but they incentivize you to do 500 kilometers between uh, New Year's Eve and Christmas. No, yeah, Christmas Christmas Eve, between Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Um, and again, instead of doing it on like a normal road bike, I actually did it on a fold-up bike uh, in Denmark when it was really, really cold and horrendously dark uh and yeah this folder bike the wheels are tiny and i only had three gears so uh yeah I, so how many did you i enjoyed did you editing 500 yeah i did the full 500 on that in a terrible winner yeah well actually you mentioned um well something of a sort of pattern uh, quite a few of your videos have been dedicated to doing sort of various challenges based on non-traditional setups i think is the best way of putting it um yeah. Now, as it's the uh, obviously the Giro at the moment, uh, you actually went out to uh, stage one um, yeah. and ended up doing what looks like um, some pretty hard work. Do you want to explain what, what that was about? Yeah, so um, basically, as you said, the Giro was starting in Bologna. I've never been to Bologna. Um, and yeah, it was... The first stage, not technically a prologue, as I found out, but um, a time trial, was going through the city and then up to this lovely place called San Luca, which is like a beautiful church at the top of this, like, yep, no, yeah, I think it's yeah. around two kilometer hill. Um, yeah, and basically, I was at the bottom of the hill. This was the day before the actual stage was going to happen. And I, well, uh, I bumped into Brian Newgall, who is, I think he used to be the, uh, he had some role at Orica Green Edge. I think he was like the marketing manager or something like that. But he's also now a really famous TV commentator in, in Denmark. And he looked at this bike and he said, are you climbing up uh, the climb on that bike? And I was like, because he just, he just walked up the climb and walked back down. And I said, yeah. Uh, that was what I was planning to do, but I wasn't sure if I, if it was even possible. Or I said something to that extent, and then he said, "You will not be able to climb up that bike, uh, that hill on that bike." Uh, Which obviously, red grass to a ball teeth. Yeah, exactly. And he said, "If you can climb up that hill on that bike, you're the only one in the world who will be able to do that." And I was just like, "Okay, then." <laughs> that sounds like a challenge to me. So uh, describe yeah, this okay. bike. I've seen the video. It had a shopping basket on the front for a start. It must have been how much would you say it weighs? Uh, this was a ten pound. Was it a ten ten dollar rent yeah, or I something think, or one dollar? Yeah, yeah, ten. Yeah, I think it was ten pounds. Uh, it was just some random cycling rental place. Uh, yeah, I think it was like 15, 16 kilograms with one gear. Basket yeah, on quite, quite well. This is the key question: How big was the gear? Uh, it was quite big. I I was hoping for like a gear that was quite, um, yeah. So if if I 
took it on my road bike. It was probably big ring and then maybe on the back, I don't know, the, the smallest ring you could get or the, yeah. Right, so we, we were having a short conversation on the pod this week about, about gear. I was recording that Marco Pantani has, used to uh, famously uh, climb the Mortirolo in a, in a 3922 because he um, his derailleur had stopped working back in the uh, days when you know guys, guys could do that. Um, and imagine having it's probably not far video. off. Yeah, it's probably not far off. Well, I mean, it, it certainly looked like hard work. And if you listen to the soundtrack, it, it, looked, it sounds like your breathing is, uh, is uh, laboured, to, to, say, yeah. to say, say the least. But uh, what I was interested in is your pacing strategy, because you caught up to a guy on, on, a, to, on a normal road setup quite quickly. And I wondered if you sort of had blown your, your um, pacing at that point. Uh, yeah, so, OK, um, I was actually with my mum because it was on her birthday on on the day of the stage. So I thought I would combine two things. I want to see the Giro. You want to go to Italy. Let's go to Bologna. Uh, so it's kind of her birthday present. And she's she knows kind of how I climb. And she said she knows that if someone's in front of me, I will like that will give me an incentive to actually go past them. So I was she told the last thing she said to me before she walked away was don't try and race mm -hmm. up the climb. You've not been up this climb on any bike and you're on a bike that's insanely heavy with a stupid gear. Uh, just don't, don't, just don't blow up. Um, so I actually saw the, the other rider. Um, I think on the video, you can see that I kind of catch up to him, but then I let him go because I just thought I can't stick with him. And then when it got to the steep part, I just, I couldn't, go any slower so it was like I either stopped pedaling well I couldn't the the pace I'm going at is the slowest I can go if that makes sense so it was like it was bloody hard but I just can't, couldn't go any slower because then I just go grind to a halt essentially uh, and, and, and what then, was his reaction yeah. when you came up next to him because obviously I'm no stranger to, to sort of just uh, catching up to people um, and then doing the old uh, back in the back in the old days uh, you would uh, the yeah. tactic would be to bomb past them and take a quick turning off yeah uh, he wasn't yeah I don't think he was I mean if if a silly uh, person like that came up with next to me on such a bike I would be so annoyed um, so yeah I think he he was a bit annoyed but then he actually yeah uh, I don't think you see that on the video, but on the way back, he appeared down to slow climb, down actually at one point to sort of to, to rather than sort of just dismiss you, he seemed yeah. to sort of come back to you at That's some point true. and talk to you. So yeah, uh, I think uh, he must have yeah. admired your effort to be honest. Uh, on the way back down, I actually saw him, and he he just gave me a thumbs up and said "Bravo" or something like that in Italian, and I was just like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, Going past him in that corner, I, it it felt good but painful at the same time. Uh, yeah, I can, I can imagine it goes up to what twenty percent in places. Yeah, I think I think it touches on just about twenty percent. Uh, but okay, it felt like forty five percent. If I'm totally honest, <laughs> I can I can imagine. Um, did you? Yeah. I noticed that you uh, did you fail to Strava it. Um, was that, was oh, that yeah. on purpose or, or you just didn't want to have the, the comparison with the pro times? Uh, no, that was completely, I really wanted the comparison, but yeah, I would probably be in dead last. Uh, if we compare it, I think I went up in, in like 14 minutes and Roglic, he, he did the whole stage in 12.12 12 minutes and 54 seconds. But yeah, yeah he had like 5.5. or 6.6 or something. And Chicago yeah. was the fastest 6.03, I believe. But, but yeah, they weren't yeah. riding that bike, to be fair. I don't know what the Japanese rider who was outside the time limit got, but it would be interesting to see what he got up the steep part. Um, I'm going to suggest, but... yeah, it was probably, you know, he probably on par with yours, I'd imagine. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, yeah um, um, I've noticed that... Um, some of your other videos feature uh, sort of city bikes. Um, is this a common theme? What's your what's your interest in them? Um, 
It was just to do something a bit different because I could do the things that we put up, like, um, yeah, if I go up on my road bike, well, I pretty much know I will do it quite well. Um, but doing it on something a bit harder, like the Rafa 500, doing that on a road bike, that's pretty easy and, well, not easy, but it's, it's obtainable to do like you don't need to in my opinion you don't need to like train for it that hard but if you do something if you do it on a fold-up bike that's a bit harder because your wheels are that much smaller and the position is a lot different so you're engaging with different muscles and well that's mm. what i found and have uh, you ever considered uh, taking part in the brompton world championships i think roberto Heras was a former world champion Really? Yeah, I actually, I think, yeah, I've seen it once and yeah, that's, that would be pretty funny to be honest. I've never actually ridden a Brompton though, so. That'd be worth, worth having. I think, I think there's a tradition that you have to compete in a tuxedo. I might have to be uh, correct, yeah. <laughs> corrective on that. I also know one of the women's world, cha- multiple world champions in that event actually. Uh, so it's, it seems like a fun, fun thing. So um, what conclusions have you got about the different types of uh, city bikes? Obviously, Santander or as they were known Boris bikes are very popular in London um, but there's a whole raft yeah. of new schemes these days so I wondered if you had any sort of conclusions about not just the bikes themselves but the sort of best scheme you know of um, well me and uh, another YouTuber well YouTuber uh, another enthusiast video enthusiast whatever you want to call it uh, we actually did a video here in Bath, and Bath is horrendously hilly. So we thought it would be quite funny to take two different kinds of brands of these city bikes. There was uh, Next Bike, which for some reason is no longer here in Bath, and then uh, something called a Yo Bike, which was from Bristol because he lives in Bristol. And then we basically just went up three three climbs: one quite long and steady, one very short and horrendously steep. I think it was like 25%. And then one that was um, not that steep, uh, but a bit longer. Uh, and uh, yeah, it probably wasn't a fair test because uh, I don't think any tourist would go up any of those climbs on such a bike. But um, yeah, for climbing, they, they aren't that good. Uh, well, that's, that's probably and, an understatement. I can imagine. From hearing the sound yeah. of your breathing in San Luca, I can imagine it's uh, one of the more they were actually better than the San Luca bike. They had really? lighter gears, so that was good. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I've ridden enough. I've ridden a Santander bike. Uh, I w- rode one recently in a suit back from work to to uh, I think it was about ten miles, and I found it. Santander bikes have three gears, but um, I was sort of optimistically crouching over their front handlebars for, air, yeah. for aero, but I thought that was uh, probably not not making much of a difference. I think if you steam it flat out, you can go past some slow people, but then they sort of they're not. To be honest, they're not even annoyed enough to race you because they think, "What's the point?" Is to it's, you know, but um, it's cert- what I can say. It certainly gives you a workout. Um, yeah, if you're after one. True. So yeah. So um, have you been following this year's Giro itself? Oh yes, I the Giro d'Italia is my fa- absolutely favorite race um, because it's so unpredictable. Like in 2017, was probably my favorite Giro of all time, where Dumoulin just loses the jersey and then he wins it back on the last time trial. Um, I feel like the Giro is always more open than than the Tour de France. Uh, well, definitely in the last uh, previous year, like in the last years. And then, oh, like, yeah, last by last year's jury. Yeah, and then also the was it 2016 where uh, Chavez lost it to Nibali, who kind yeah, of got, back, race, yeah. got himself back in form, like during the third week, or and then like yeah. last year, Froome just coming from nowhere and just like destroying yeah, the whole world yeah, for so, the ages. Yeah. Um, are so you a Dumoulin like, fan, particularly? Oh, uh, yeah. I actually I like Dumoulin a lot. Um, so uh, last year I was in Innsbruck and, uh, uh, I was riding up. So the, the reason I was in Innsbruck is yeah. Innsbruck's a beautiful place of the world. Mm. If I recommend it to anyone, 
Uh, it's this city in the middle of a mountain region. And then behind that, like in one of the mountains behind the city, they had um, this horrendous climb called the Hörl, which, yeah, okay, they marketed it as the road to hell because it's spelled similar to hell. I think it means hell in German. I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, but it goes up this horrendous climb that goes up to 28%, but it's like a long climb. And it's the, the very last section which goes up to 28%. Um, so this was the climb so that, that defined the, what the road race um, on which yeah. uh, Valverde went away with um, Mike Woods, Woods, Michael Woods, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, Alaphilippe. No, Alaphilippe went was dropped early, wasn't he? Um, yeah. So the French team they were was, working for Alaphilippe. It was uh, Bardet as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So Bardet was working for Alaphilippe, and then suddenly Julian Philippe dropped back, and it was like mm. everyone was just like, "Who are you working for?" <laughs> um, well, I think, he, yeah, he, and, just, he just surprisingly just didn't have the legs. But obviously then Dumoulin made a heroic effort to bridge across, yeah. having dropped Mosk on, and then just had nothing left when he caught up with them. Yeah, so the day before they had like a sportive thing, uh, like the shortest sportive ever. Uh, it was start of Innsbruck up this hurl hill and all the way to the top. And uh, yeah, it was just trying it. I, I went way too hard, way too soon. Um, and but I did the climb. I probably was one of the ones who did the climb the most in those three days. I did it six times, well, just because. Yeah, went, did you improve over that period or go backwards? Yeah. So like the cool thing was I got the twelfth quickest time um, over the steep pit bit, um, and then over after the men's men's um, passed through it, I only dropped to thirtieth. So like out of wow, 190 something pros going through, I only dropped 18 places, which I was quite proud of. Although I'm going to, I'm going to sort of take you down a peg or two there and suggest that most of them, if they weren't contending to the wind, just sort of creeped up it as best they could without exhausting themselves. But that's, that's still a fairly sizable achievement. Uh, so yeah, um, anyone fancies going and doing that climb, it's, like the, the, yeah, it's, like it's all on Strava. Uh, so, yeah. so yeah, it was a uh, fiat, wasn't it? It was one of the most uh, difficult, or the most difficult, certainly since about 1981, uh, in terms of number of uh, meters of, of climbing. Um, but it was also when it was uh, announced, the immediate reaction was, well, they may as well give it to Valverde now, and they need so it. Pretty- yeah, that's true. Um, and I think that's the reason why um, the tour of Yorkshire, because we actually got to see that as well when we were down there. Um, when they unveiled, because I went to Teesside Uni, which is really close to the moors, and I absolutely love the Yorkshire moors. And again, go to the Yorkshire moors if you like cycling, because it's just beautiful up there. Um, they, the basically the World Championship routes completely avoid the Yorkshire moors, and I think it's because Innsbruck was that hard. They don't want to make uh, a second World Championship that hard because of the mm-hmm. Yorkshire moors. There's a climb called the Rosedale Chimney. If they go up there, that's equally, if uh, yeah, equally as hard. It goes up to thirty-three percent in a small section. So, wow. I spoke that's to actually, um, yes. a real disappointment. They haven't used that. Did they ever use it in the tour of Yorkshire? Tour de Yorkshire, I should say. Uh, no, they haven't. And I actually, Chris Boardman was down there, and he actually has won the national hill climb up the Rosedale Chimney. And we were talking about it, uh, and he said, yeah, he would love to see, like, the Tour of Yorkshire finish a stage up it, but he said it'll probably never happen. Um, yeah, that, like, that would be, like, the dream finish in, in the Tour of Yorkshire. Yeah, well, so if you're listening, organizers, do it. Yeah, no, let's, let's yeah. get that in there. That would be amazing to see. Um, Chris Boardman, I think he won the National Hill Climb met quite yeah, a few occasions, even, like, seven yeah. or something, quite a lot. Um, which go sort of went to, to to sort of show how the the sort of depth of talent at the time wasn't really there because obviously Baldwin was anything but yeah. a but a specialist. Yeah. But he's he's certainly one of my favourite riders um, in terms of his achievements in an era of where everyone was doping, perhaps yeah. except except him. So uh, so yeah, an amazing guy. So uh, so what happened when uh, you were racing with uh, you were riding, I should say, with uh, Big Tom? Yeah, so uh, I was just out on my bike because I thought 
um, this was kind of the the day before where all the pros were kind of seeing the course. And uh, well, yeah, two days before, I think, because the women's was on Saturday. Yeah, so I think it was two days before. And I'd just seen Nairo Quintana. Uh, we, it was basically the start of the climb. Um, like, if, you, if you've seen the course, they kind of go through like uh, a quite packed street where there's houses on each side. So Quintana was coming up and I could just, like I was quite far away from him, but his voice was just so loud. Not that he was shouting, but it was so deep and I could just hear him. And yeah, at that point I was like, I have to get my bike because if I can get on the wheel of any of these pros, that would just be crazy. So I went in, grabbed my bike, and then I cycled up Hurl and I bumped into the Australian national team. Uh, Simon Clark was there, Jack Haig, and one mm. other guy. I'm not sure who that was. And I thought it was funny to just kind of attack them. Uh, so I rode away with them, uh, away from them. And it was did only they take the Simon Did they bite? Yeah, Simon Clark did. did uh, so Simon Clark, he was on my wheel, and then he went to the front of me, and then he just put the pace up horrendously, and I like, just blew up. And like the two others, they were just laughing as they passed by. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what you want them to hear. <laughs> yeah, really, so Simon yeah. Clark, I got bullied by Simon Clark. Uh, so then I turned around and I basically went down. Uh, so I didn't go fully up. I went down and I went the other way up. And I just paused for a moment. Uh, there's a junction um, where the, there's kind of two roads. So you can go. Um, it's kind of where it's a junction between if you turn left, then you go up the hurl climb but if you go to the right you kind of go up the climb where they descend down as they've climbed up to the top of the hurl so i thought okay i'll go up that way the back way because it's a bit easier and yeah and then i saw tom dumoulin all alone everyone else when they were coming up they were surrounded by fans but tom dumoulin was just by himself and i thought oh my goodness this is insane so I was just like, I need to be on that back wheel. So I got on the back wheel of him and I just tried to stay as long as I could. Um, yeah, I actually didn't hit record like straight away because I was so like, oh my God, this is Tom Dumoulin. Uh, and I tried to speak with him, but uh, he was a bit in his own world. But he was like, he was polite. I asked him how he found the course and he said it was really good for him which now him coming fourth or whatever he did. Yeah, okay, mm. I can see what it means. Uh, yeah, so I just kind of tried to stick on him. And the funny thing was that uh, as we were going up, like people were clapping at him, which I thought was really funny. So like fans were just clapping and shouting like, grande, Tom, grande. And I was just like, okay, this is this is a new level. <laughs> uh, uh, I thought you missed the point as to who his training companion was at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, someone actually asked me if I was an under-23 Danish rider, and I was like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just a fan. Uh, but well, this is the beauty of cycling, isn't it? How close you can get yeah. to, to, to your heroes in this respect. So how did it end? Did uh, you eventually sort of uh, put uh, off? Kind of, the... yeah. He kind of, uh, I was looking at my power meter, and he was going up to like four, 500 watts, and I was just like, boom, I blew. Can you imagine uh, on purpose to drop you or just uh probably uh <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs> um but i think he was surprised how long i could actually keep his wheel uh, so um, you're sort of progressively testing you out until you cracked yeah in the beginning it wasn't that fast and then he took it up to 400 watts and he just kept it for quite a long time and then like where i press record i think is around where he just starts like going off on one and i was just like oh well <laughs> guess we finish here then did you um, manage to uh, bow out with dignity in yeah i managed to say thank you tom and he actually waves which i caught on the video which i thought was a uh, quite a good way of finishing uh but uh, yeah yes. you said if anyone's it's... uh interested in this it's on it's on it's on the uh it's on the channel so so uh, check, check, check it out. Well, like you said, it's absolutely incredible with cycling that you can just, you can watch them ride up the Alpes or Hull, and then you can literally ride it yourself like minutes, if not, yeah, literally minutes after they've gone through. 
which I think is really cool. And that's why I think cycling is such an accessible sport to everyone. And everyone, like all the pros as well, they're really engaging with you. They'll come up, mm-hmm. they'll take a photo with you. They're not, they're not like football players who are behind like five meters of, of barriers and stuff like that. Um, well, Jimmy Olan himself is very down to earth. Uh, he'll, you know, he's engaged yeah. with uh, us a couple of times on, on on Twitter as well. He's a really nice guy. Um, so uh, yeah, not not affected by sort of uh, in the same way as a, as a footballer might be. I think Graham would say that as well. That uh, you know, cyclists as a as a rule are much more kind of personable and down to earth. But um, so so yeah. Um, so have you got any interesting projects coming up? Um, so yeah, we have some few ideas. Um, there's one big project we have, which is basically. Uh, here in the UK, we have uh, a very hard sportive in Wales called the Dragon Ride. Yep, I did yep, it last yep. year and I had a horrendous knee injury. Um, but uh, basically this year I'm doing it again. And then I'm going to kind of um, talk through uh, talk through the what I've been tra- how I've been training beforehand. And then where I'm going to do like a interesting fueling strategy and stuff like that. But the interesting part with this video is that my friend who I went to Amsterdam with last year, we cycled from Dunkirk to Amsterdam. He's completely, well, he's a novice to cycling. He's uh, quite a good boxer. He's six foot two, so complete opposite uh, physiology to me. He's 100 and something kilograms of pure muscle, whereas I'm like 60 kilograms of, yeah, hardly any muscle, uh, at least uh, on the upper body. So we thought it would be funny to kind of uh, compare how he does on his very first sportive compared to me, who's done sportives quite a lot. And then I'm actually working with a coach who's kind of been training me and um, trying different training uh, strategies to kind of see what effect that has on, on the overall ride. But it's basically seeing the two perspectives of someone who's done sportives before and then someone who's coming in as uh, basically a novice and is not traditionally built for climbs but was he he has a very he's very motivated and very determined and he's from yorkshire so they don't give in very easily so so uh uh well thanks thanks very much for your time scott hope to uh have you on the show in future i know that um uh, we've got the tour coming up and of, of course hill climbing season which uh, is something that's quite close to my heart as well so uh uh, we'll I look forward to speaking to you about those things. Thank you for having me on as well. I have a question for you, Stephen. Yes. Having listened to that interview, yes. who would win in a race up Swain's Lane, you yes. or the Cycling Dane? Right now, you versus right. cycling Dane, me, Stephen Balby, who hasn't trained this year. Who no, be? if you'd but no, if you but well, yes, I mean, obviously, I, I might beat you at the moment, I doubt it, but I, you know, it, it would be closer than it should be. Um, but uh, I mean, if you were trained and as uh, you are 30, well, 38, back ourselves, I would back myself, but uh, I'm <laughs> sure Scott would back himself equally. So, uh, no, in fact, he is aiming for a decent place at the National Hill Climb Championships next year. I'm simply hoping to qualify. Um, it's based, it, next year's is going to be in Streetly Hill in Berkshire, which, as you know, David, is uh, not yeah. very far from where we grew up. And that's jolly exciting. So I'm definitely going to be uh, aiming for that, to qualify for that this season. For that reason. Are, are, you going, are you going to be using the same training technique that you're using at the moment? No, I'm going to totally, um, you know, turn that on its head and take the radical step of riding my bike. Well, easily with intent to improve. It sounds like a, a sock bet is on. Well, I ride my bike. No. <laughs> um, What's riding your bike like? I've forgotten. <laughs> it hurts your bum, actually. That's what <laughs> it means. It means, you don't, it means you're one, one excuse short. Well, jolly good. Shall we now hear about what's going on in the world of women's cycling? Uh, we, if, I, know, so, I know someone that knows all about the world of women's cycling. Well, what's she going to be talking about? Introduce her properly, David. She's going to be talking about riding on roads and not riding on roads. 
she's going to be talking about mountain biking and she's going to be talking about the women's tour of britain currently ongoing hannah hello everyone um, yeah, so last week, Rachel Atherton took her sixth downhill mountain bike World Cup title for the UK um, to match her six world championship titles too on an Atherton bike, which is the company she runs with her brothers Dan and G. Um, the commentary of her run focused at first on taking it really steady and not taking any risks at the top part of the course. Um, visibility was pretty poor and the track was in a total state after torrential rain in qualifying. Um, to me, it did look like she was going hell for leather and hurling herself down vertical rock faces, but what do I know? Uh, lower down the course, she just took these perfectly economical, elegant lines everywhere through the woods, like she was gliding over the roots, um, gliding incredibly quickly, of course. Um, she's amazingly talented. She's got 37 World Cup wins, six World Cup titles and five World Championships to her name. And she's also the only person in mountain biking history to have had a perfect season. In 2016, she won every single World Cup round and the World Championship. Um, thanks to Red Bull TV for the equal coverage of the men's and women's events. Uh, you can see the full replay of her Fort Bill run last week on redbull.com. And uh, also thanks Red Bull for making me feel like I need yet another bike in my collection because those mountain bikes are amazing. The next round is in Leergang in Western Austria. Um, it's got a reputation as a fast track with speeds of about 60 kilometers an hour through the speed traps. Um, and with tweaks to the course in recent years, making it less bike parky and more challenging, it should be a really exciting round. Dragging ourselves back through the mud and back onto the road though, um, what's been going on in the Tour of Britain? Uh, there's an extra day of racing this year, making it one of the longest races in the women's calendar. Um, and also, shout out here for it being one of only a handful of races that offers the same prize fund as the men's equivalent race. So yay for that. The opening stage on Monday was in Suffolk, uh, Beckles to Staymarket. And the weather, as I'm sure we can all remember that day, was completely horrendous. Um, Abby May Parkinson of Trek Drops went for a really courageous break with 12k to go and amassed about a minute's lead but was hunted down and caught in the last 2k which was sad as it would have been really fun to see a Brit take the first stage. Um, Amy Peters did stellar work bringing Yolian Dorr into position for her final sprint. Um, Dorr has taken three of her four Tour of Britain stages in the east of England which makes sense. I grew up there and it's basically exactly the same as Holland but slightly worse. Stage two on Tuesday was at the Kent Cyclopark. Um, the last time I was there was in January to watch the National Cyclocross Championships and I have never been so cold in all my life. It was very traumatic for me. Um, luckily, there was a dramatic improvement in weather conditions this week for the riders there, so they had a really fast crit-style race. Marianne Voss took the stage win with a monumental sprint. She really skillfully used the lead-out train of Trek Segafredo and then just beat Lizzie Diamond into second place right at the last minute. Team Sunweb have been going all out for the sprints this week, with Corin Rivera and Amy Lippert taking valuable seconds in the first two stages. Um, also, WNT Rota continue to punch above their weight, and they're really endearing themselves to me as an incredibly skilled team. They had a third place for Lisa Brenauer at Stowmarket, and a second place today at Blenheim Palace behind Julian Dorr. Um, back in the spring classics, their rider Kirsten Vild proved herself time and again, and Catherine Hamners took a decisive victory at Lotto Turingen Tour at the start of June as well. Um, I'd watch out for them, they're on great form, and they would definitely be my outside pick for the Tour of Britain, for sure. Um, that's it from me this week, so back over to you guys in the studio. <laughs> So, Stephen, earlier you were saying that apparently Froome was trying to blow his nose. Is that right? Uh, yes, and he was probably trying to shed weight. I have an interesting... So, so there's, there's two things there. So I'll come back uh, to your no, interesting thing in a minute. Nothing. Can I just talk over you there? Because you, you, you ironically, without knowing it, set me up for the thing I was waiting to say. And then you totally set me up. And then you spoke over me and, and deprived me of the thing. And that was amazing because that was like serendipity. But anyway, let's. what was your thing? Well, there were two things, really. Number one is, um, I hope it wasn't hay fever that may give him a runny nose, because obviously, you know, uh, the team that he's in has a very, you know, well-recorded history of being able to deal with that usually, so that's weird. And the second thing is, um, 
Yes. The second thing is I know exactly what it's like uh, that it's dangerous when someone uh, has a runny nose riding a bike. It's not you. It wasn't me. It was it's riding behind you because you have a penchant, Stephen, of just evacuating your nose um, uh, no matter who's riding right behind you. To the extent that last time we were on the Marmot, I said that if you do it again for every time that you do it again, when I'm riding behind you, you would have to carry a pound coin with you around the, the route. And uh, and on the very next ride, again, we were riding up a hill um, and uh, you uh, accelerate away while while snotting in my face. And I, my question is, what do you have to say for yourself? Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> for the gift of your evacuated nostrils. Yeah. I have an interesting statistic about Mr. Christopher Froome at some point, Sir Christopher Froome, hopefully, um, that... Um, which has nothing to do with the monarchy, this statistic. Uh, if you will recall me uh, saying a while ago that John Archibald, Esquire, uh, had, was relatively unusual in that his peak power uh, was only, I say only, about 900 and something watts, whereas mm. his sustainable power for, say, 40 minutes, 20 to 40 minutes, um, was over 500, which corresponded to well over 50% of his peak power. Now, if these statistics are be to, to be believed, uh, this might tell us something about, you know, uh, Froome's fragility, maybe perhaps uh, bone density wise. I, I, I suspect it tells us absolutely nothing. I'm in fact talking at my bottom here. But uh, be apprised of, of this. When he was measured at the GlaxoSmithKline Human Performance Lab in London in 2015, his peak power was measured at what? Yeah, it was no, it's measured, no, it's measured in watts, Stephen, not at what. How many watts was his peak power measured in? In? <laughs> or extrapolate meaning from that. Statistic. I'll tell you what, just tell us. Tell us the answer. No, no honestly, take a guess. His peak his, power. His, a thousand. Okay, Graham? Uh, 1,100. It's an astonishing. It's an astonishing figure. I'm going to, put, I'm going to let you reappraise your guess based on the fact that it's an astonishing figure. It is 525 watts. What? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that yes. can't be. That can't be right. That Hence. must be right. There's no way. No, no. It's it's online. Uh, he's peak. Therefore, his 20 to 40 minute power at 419 watts corresponded to 79.8 percent of his maximum. Which is astonishing. That's extraordinary. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? So basically, basically he has no fast twitch muscles then, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. But, yeah. you know, to be operating almost 80% of his maximum power for, for, for 40 minutes. But it also explains how he rides. So that's why he's able to do those attacks with such high cadence, right? Well, yeah, but if you think about it. So next time anyone out there rides their bike, sprint as fast as you can for 10 seconds. And then, and then try to imagine what it's like um, going the rest of your journey for up to 40 minutes at 80% of that speed and power. And then think about that. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? Albeit, it's I would full, say it's that, fully weird. That's freakish. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. I don't know. He that actually, doesn't sound right, though, because he, no, I, I don't buy it because he, I've seen him sprint uphill. Right? Well, you can have to and, take that uh, to it up with uh, GSK. Actually, you're right. That doesn't make any sense, is it? Because after you know, he should be able to do that. That, that actually makes no sense. I'm going to take that up with GSK. That's actually ridiculous. If anyone can explain that, that, that statistic is online, albeit it's Wikipedia. <laughs> so, um, but no, in 2007, it goes on to say that his peak power was measured again at only 540 watts. We should clarify what peak power means. I don't know if it means your maximum spike of power. Perhaps it's just the power you can sustain over 20 yeah, seconds. We'll have to go more into that, um, I think. I'll come back on that next week. That's interesting. Perhaps with some other people's uh, figures, um, such as um, yours, David. I'd like to know yours, for example. Yeah, I imagine mine's the opposite. I imagine I've got an enormously high peak, and what I can sustain of it is about 4%. Uh, yes, well, exactly. Uh, right, well, on that note, any other business? Any other business? I think, chaps, that might be it for this week. Do follow us on uh, at LBBpod on Twitter and Life Behind Bars podcast on Instagram. We will be back next week. Uh, more from myself, more from David. 
more from Stephen, more from Hannah. Uh, from me, Graham Wilgos, until then, it's good night from him, David Quainton. It's good night from him, Stephen Bowie. Salut. <laughs> and it's good night from me, Steve. Thanks for supporting it like you do every week. <laughs>